this is Annette Lackovich and you're listening to Cashflow Candy. Today I'll be sharing with you an interview with Jodie Fox from Shoes of Prey. Imagine being able to get celebrities to wear your product. Well, Jodie did. Jodie has had the likes of supermodel Tara Banks, uh, Rihanna, Oprah, Ellen DeGeneres, just to name a few. She is going to be sharing with you some awesome information about how to build your business from the ground up. This girl had turned her business around from a startup to a multi-million dollar business selling shoes online only. So this interview takes place back in 2013, believe it or not, and it was just when she was opening her very first store. She now has eight stores around the world, two of them in Australia and six are in the USA. I know you're going to enjoy this interview. She is very honest and a very down-to-earth, beautiful young lady. This is Annette Lakovic and you're listening to Cashflow Candy. Join me while I interview successful entrepreneurs, business specialists and share the ultimate information helping you increase your sales doing what you love. So let's start making some candy for your business. And I am absolutely pumped to be sharing this interview with you today. And I'm pumped for a real selfish reason because my assistant, Marissa, actually found this lovely lady, Jodie Fox. And I don't know about many of you ladies out there, but I find it really hard to get the perfect pair of shoes. I'm telling you, I have ugly feet. I will never be a foot model. And one of the problems with my feet is I'm an ex-dancer, so I have bunions galore all over my feet, and I have big feet as well. I actually have size 10 feet. So to walk into a shop and to find the perfect fitting shoe and one that I actually like that doesn't look like a grandma shoe, um, you know, I actually find it really hard. So when my Marissa tapped me on the shoulder and said, you have to interview this lady, uh, we made sure that we actually set it up. So I'd like to introduce you to Jodie Fox. She's actually established an online shoe business called Shoe of Prey back in 2009. And that was along with her husband, Michael, and a business partner, Mike. And just in a little over two years, this amazing startup business, and hang on to your hat, girls, this amazing startup business has had women, not just in Australia, but all over the world, create custom-made shoes. And it's now over tens of millions of people, which they've actually opened up to offices in Russia, Japan, China, England, Netherlands. And to add to that, she has actually won the private, oh, let me just get this right, the National Hudson Private Award for the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year. So I'd like you to put your hands together because this girl has been on, you know, BRW magazine. She's been everywhere. So welcome, Jody, and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me and what an introduction. I've got a lot to deliver today. (laughs) Look, um, this is the first time you and I have actually spoken on the phone. So let's just start off with, you know, how did the idea come about? Was it something that you needed? Was it something that you guys created? Was it feedback? Can you start from the very start for us? Sure, sure. So interestingly, uh, the idea kind of came about from the 
different passions that each of our each of us co-founders have. So there's three of us that are co-founders of the business. There's myself and two Michaels, a Mike and a Michael. And um, I guess for me and my part of the journey, I had always liked shoes. Um, I'm Italian by background, and so I spend a lot of time in beautiful shoe stores with my dears and my mum, having a look at gorgeous stilettos and things like that. But I never really fell in love with shoes because I could never find exactly what I wanted. And for me, it was an aesthetic thing. Yes, and since okay. then, we've discovered things like, um, you know, sizing can be such an issue. And I'm telling you that a size 10 is a completely normal shoe size. Okay, thank you. That makes me feel better. No, you should feel fine. We go all the way up to a size, Australian size 15, and all the way down wow. to an Australian size 2. So um, really, and there's lots of women in those outlying sizes. So it's not an abnormal thing at all. Uh, but so for me, it was an aesthetic thing with shoes. And so I was traveling in very much in the same way that you find somebody who can create a bespoke shirt or suit for you. I found mm-hmm. somebody who could commission my shoe designs. And so I started to create these shoes with them. And as I, my collection of shoes grew wilder and more exciting, my girlfriends asked me you know, where these shoes were coming from. And when I explained, I started to commission designs for them as well. But I must admit, it was it was getting traction, but I, I wasn't thinking about it as a business. I was just having fun doing it and really enjoying it. And then uh, my two business partners, Mike Knapp was at Google as a software engineer, and he's an extremely entrepreneurial person as well. Um, and Michael Fox was at Google as well, and he'd gone through operations training at a previous company and um, then gone into Google in advertising sales. And they were both really passionate about online retail and looking for an idea that was exciting and that would um, serve a special currency and be something that we could really, it could really take to the world. And so it was kind of with those combined passions of mine for designing shoes, there's online online retail um, and software development that Shoes of Prey came about. Yeah, great. So um, that's quite interesting that you said that you started just sort of getting bespoking done for your your feet, feet for yourself. So it was more just you just wanting to get the right shoe and then what yeah. you had girlfriend's feedback saying, oh my gosh, I love your shoes, where do you get your shoes from? And and then did that start to trigger the business idea then or how long did it sort of eventuate to say, you know what, this is actually a money-making business right here. Like did it take a while yeah. to actually get to that stage? You know, by the time the three of us were really sort of clear on what we were passionate about, I think it probably was about two years down the track before we really started working towards, um, we'd figured out to put all of those passions together mm-hmm. <laughs> to create yeah. a website where you could design your own shoes online. And then it took us nine months appropriately uh, to get the business from the idea um, having sort of come about to getting it live. Fantastic. So it's quite interesting because I actually wrote a a blog on this the other day on Facebook and I said it's so interesting. One of the biggest mistakes I see in business is um, a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs have created a business but not 100% ready to commit. And because they haven't given that 100% commitment, they sort of of got one hand on one trapeze bar Mm. and the other one on the other trapeze bar. Mm. The business just doesn't get rocking and rolling. However, on the flip side and the ironic side is so many businesses start as a hobby because that person is so passionate about it and then they start to have their friends get their feedback. This is what sounds like it's happened with you and then they've started to think, wow, I can actually monetize this and start doing what I absolutely love Mm -hmm. and turn this into a business. 
Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting point. I'm so sorry to jump in. Did you no, want go to finish? For it. Um, no, I think it's really interesting because I think for me that really raises a couple of really important things that I would share with anyone thinking about creating their own business. And the first one is that we often look, I mean, people often talk about creating their business based on a niche that isn't currently serviced. And I think that that's an absolutely fine approach. And I think that it is a, a valuable approach and it's definitely a layer of consideration for me. But I would say that my primary motivation and um, something that I would really encourage people to think about as well is looking for what it is that they're passionate about. Because if you are passionate about something, you will think about it every second of the day. Whereas your competitor or somebody else in the market who's not passionate about it will they'll be happy to put that down <laughs> at the end Absolutely. of the day. If you're familiar with what that product is and you're passionate about it and excited about it, you'll be able to innovate with that product or service in a way that somebody who doesn't care about it could never do. And I think that passion is just so highly defensible that it shouldn't be um, overlooked or rationalized as some sort of you know emotional response because ultimately we, you know, buy things and interact with things because we have an emotional connection to them. So I think mm -hmm. that that should not be overlooked at all. Um, yeah. I think the secondly, you also mentioned the the kind of that horrible tension between do I stay in what I'm doing and then when do I go into my business and all that sort of thing. And that transition is just such a difficult one. And for me, that it comes is. back to, yeah, uh, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that lots of your listeners can really relate to that. Um, I know I've certainly been there. Um, I think that it really comes for me back to, um, and this is just my purely my experience. I'm not, you know, a theoretical expert or anything like this. Yeah, no, me, it was it was really um, thinking about and talking to Mike and Michael about the way that we would measure failure. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, we were 27, or I was 27 when we started the business out. And mm -hmm. I think at that point in time, um, I was, you know, I wasn't I mean, I'm, I'm still not I'm, not I'm not committed to a house or children or um and in my relationship and all that sort of thing everything was fine and it was at a point where I sort of faced the choice of um do I want to give it a go and if I do give it a go what's the worst that could happen if things go wrong and yeah. I think you kind of need to have faith in yourself that you you will stop before you end up in a gutter <laughs> and um, I think having good emotional support around as well so I have a very I'm very lucky to have a very strong family and a really um, exceptional group of friends in my life who I know kind of give you that emotional support and um, will help to pull me up when I'm, um, you know, I mean, they don't even know that they're doing it half the time, but just knowing that they're yeah. there gives me mm. the strength to make tough decisions. Um, yeah. And it's, it's such an intangible thing, but such an important thing as well. Um, and also thinking too, if I go ahead and have a crack at my own business, then chances are that I professionally will be so much more developed than, you know, staying in a fairly um, narrow or a fairly straight career path as well. So for me, mm -hmm. uh, they were kind of the things that I looked at before facing the really overwhelming sense of fear, which is the idea of failure. And I think that's a really powerful, but not always, it shouldn't always be the most weighty thing in your um rationale or the way that you think through things so yeah. I would sort of you know pass that on as if you're in that situation then you know maybe have a look at the way that you're assessing failure and also know too that if you do have to go back to working for someone else that's fine and it's not going to be that you leaving this particular job right now means that you'll never get a job again that's absolutely not the case <laughs> yeah so there's some things that I really thought through in my transition period
Oh, that's fantastic. And totally agree with you with the passion, um, being totally mm. passionate. My first business I created was actually when I was um, 26, 27, pretty much the same age mm-hmm. as you started this business. Oh, cool. And, um, and, you know, it was a business idea. It was an idea that I thought that uh, the market needed. It was called Presence for Her. It's still actually around. I still have the business. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about passion, it was an idea. It wasn't that I was passionate about gifting. The idea for the business was so many men I knew hated doing gift shopping for their girlfriends, for <laughs> their mothers, for their wives. And I thought, well, that's a great business idea. So I created it. Now, what happened was as times got tough, and, you know, mm-hmm. I started that in 2008. Like, I started in a tough year. <laughs> mm. It was I, – I, and I started it, and even though times were tough um, in people's minds, right, because we can all debate sort of about the, um, you know, financial um, crisis, um, but whatever was going on for people externally, for me internally, when business got tough, my passion died. Because the passion was really around the business idea, not because I absolutely loved the business model itself. Oh. So then when I realized, I actually sat there and I did some work on myself and I said, what is it that I'm not getting right now? And my background has always been, um, you know, performance, communicating, leading. I've worked with, um, you know, major companies. I've spoken on many stages to really big brands. And mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to that. I feel like that's what was missing. And I went, right, let's just go for it. Let's just go for number one female speaker. Let's just get out there and do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over the two and a half years, my business, as soon as I made that decision, because I was passionate, I just feel like energetically everything sort of lined up yeah. and clients came to me freely, business started flowing through to me easy. And even when it was, you know, some, some hurdles, some challenges, the passion pulls you through. Like you're happy to work on your mm. business till you know. Lately, with all the things that we're doing marketing wise, you know, we're working on a business till about eleven thirty, one o'clock in the morning at the moment. Yeah. But for me, it's like I'm totally addicted because of what you were saying. That one key that you believe it's not just niche and it's being passionate about what you do. So yeah. I'm a hundred percent behind with what you're saying. Totally. I've been there and I've built it. <laughs> yeah, and you'll you'll probably agree with this too, but I think it's a really nice thing to say because I think it normalizes it. Um, is even even when you're super passionate and you have all the drive and determination in the world, there will still be moments where everything sucks. <laughs> yeah. There will still be moments where you do hit a low and you wonder why you know, why you chose this path and things like that. There will be those moments, but mm. that's an entirely normal, natural thing. The feeling will pass. You are, you're, you'll get all that energy back. It's totally fine. And I think that it's just <laughs> important for anyone who's going through that right now out there. It's okay. You're going to come through this. <laughs> Fantastic. So talk to me about, um, first share with me the hardest challenge that you had just in the startup, because we've got a whole lot of different women for doing their base. We've got from startups through to um, SMEs. So we've got all these different size um, business women actually listening. So with when you were starting it up, what were some of your challenges that you found, you know, really pretty big hurdles where you're thinking, oh, gosh, how do we have to get around this? Yeah. Look, it, this might not be the answer you expect. I mean, I there were lot, sure there were lots of challenges, um, but I've got to say to you, I never saw any of the business challenges as being insurmountable. So when we first started out, I remember um, 
you know, we got emails from people we were going to work with as suppliers saying, we're really excited to work with you. P.S. We think you'll be broke in three months. It's a terrible idea. Oh, <laughs> you're like that. So, you know, we got, we got plenty of discouragement along the way and there were certainly lots of barriers and it's constantly, you know, when you're growing a business very quickly, um, there's constantly that tension between growing quickly and not letting, letting your service slip and all that sort of stuff. So I think, I think we're still going through a lot of those challenges as, you know, as we go along. But mm-hmm. look, the, the biggest challenge for me has actually been the personal stuff. So yeah. for me, um, like I, a good example is, you know, when I think that people generally either start out as being will have a natural response to things. It's either highly logical or highly emotional. And for me, um, my response mechanism starts in a very emotional place. So, <laughs> like um, many of us know, women, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's lots of us out there. And so for me, I think it was more about um, recognizing that and then turning it into something that was um, a really positive thing for the workplace. And I'm comfortable to say that I sort of, I've never, you know, sort of released my emotion into the workplace um, mm-hmm. in a way that's you know, sort of really been shown. But I think that, you know, for me, that was a personal struggle that I was dealing with and working out how to take that and turn it into, you know, really emotional intelligence that's a strength for what I bring mm. into my role in the office um, was a really difficult personal thing to do. And um, in a startup as well, you're all things, you know, you've got to, um, as a founder, you have to be every single role in the company. And, you know, founders are usually people who love overachieving. So, that's a real yeah. challenge, and especially when you come from an emotional place, I think that was probably one of my um, greatest challenges with that personal thing. And what I'm really proud to say is that, you know, I've come a long way in that journey, and I can now share that with our staff yeah. when I see them facing the same challenges because I can really relate to it. And I don't think that emotions should be left out of the workplace. I think that um, work should be life-enhancing. You should be walking in the door and doing what you love and being happy, not walking in the door and walking out with money. You know, I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously it's good to get a good paycheck, but it should be about being happy. So um, that's why I think that yeah, know, perfect. Sort of learning those lessons is a good thing. And um, it's quite interesting that you're saying about the emotional side of, of the business or, you know, with, the, with you being the entrepreneur. Um, my background before I created my first business, it was in sales, um, sales training, specific sales training, which is heavily logical. It, it's teaching them emotional communication skills. However, mm-hmm. I found that there was actually a block um, that was actually missing from the style that I was teaching. So when mm-hmm. I realized what my gift was, and it was really being able to empower people from, from, from the stage of really what I'm best at, mm-hmm. I realized what I needed to do was connect more with the crap that's actually happening in people's head because when I was doing self-training back in the day, I could give people all the different skills, all the different techniques to use, but still, there was a big chunk of them that just wouldn't do it. Yeah. And it's what stops them from doing it is their mindset. It's the psychological mm. stuff. So then I started to get into NLP, neurolinguistics, and got my practitioner license for that. Um, and I tell you what, that is the missing link because I will get women in that will all start with me with one session, one coaching session. And mm. I tell you what, either within the first, a session, if not the second session, it goes from, they might inquire saying, I need help with sales strategies, I need help with um, setting up my business. And then within that session or the next session, we will start going into mindset stuff purely because I'll talk about the emotional pull 
So I mm-hmm. totally connect with what you're saying there. And for, for you girls that are listening, um, there's a free report that I've done. Um, and just write this down and you can Google it later um, or find it on my Facebook page. It's um, a free report. It's your entrepreneurial archetype. And it just, you just do it. It's a really fun. It's a three-minute quiz and it punches out what your results are and you get through what your entrepreneurial archetype is. So if you'd like to do like little quizzes and a little bit more about yourself, just make sure you write that down and check that out. So I'm going to ask you this. How did you source the, 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 the finances with it? Did you actually get investors on board? Was it your own hard-earned cash? Like how did you sort of get the, the funds together? So for the three of us, we'd always talked about business ideas and we, throughout our careers, were squirreling away dollars uh, for the day that we did start our own business that was the real thing. Uh, so we kicked in the seed fund and Tuesday Play was profitable within the first two months. So, sorry, um, can you say that again? You just broke up them. Oh, sorry. Shoes of Prey was profitable in its first two months. So, oh. um, so we we actually had a dream run and um, we bootstrapped it all the way through until June last year. Uh, and when we took on funding from a syndicate and investors across Silicon Valley and Australia. Fantastic. So, what was the process with getting the investors? So, you bootstrapped it from the start, then you went, mm-hmm. okay, we're ready to pull money into you guys about going national. We'll talk about really what your goals are um, as well. So, how did you actually go with getting investors? Did you have somebody actually help you? Um, was no, no. You we guys had experience then? Um, no, none of us had experience in it, but we did do it all ourselves. And I suppose the biggest tip I can give to anyone is it really is about your networks. Um, especially if you're looking for funding domestically. Um, mm-hmm. I think that funding offshore out of um, Europe and the US, um, it's a lot um, a lot easier to come by and it is also um, the valuations are higher, uh, traditionally mm-hmm. speaking. And I think that, um, but it does require you to leave the country. Um, I, I think that we are on the cusp of seeing quite a lot of change with that, which is really exciting. Um, but the environment for fundraising in Australia is still at a start. And I think that, um, you know, but it's, it's, um, it's certainly that path is being paved for the entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who are coming through, which is really exciting. Um, so for us, yeah, it was about networking. Uh, yeah. It was about understanding how to um, explain your vision and your story of your business mm-hmm. and how to really truly share that properly with investors so that they would understand where you were going as well. Um, right. And then getting the right group of people together because it's, from my point of view anyway, it's not just about the cash, it's about having the right brains on your business as well. Mm-hmm. So how many investors did you see? Did you have to see, you know, 30, 10, <laughs> a handful? How many did you actually sit down and do your presentation and get a knockback? So um, I think the way that it was put to me is, Jody, you've got to go kiss a lot of frogs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, um, so look, we, I, I can't give you a number, but there were a lot. Um, I think in hindsight, we probably would have had a more focused process. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing with Shoes of Prey was that we were approached by VC firms from when the business was two months old. And um, so we were talking to investors from kind of our first two months and mm-hmm. you know, not investing time in it, not taking it too seriously, but just, you know, yeah. sort of having chats, telling the story and that sort of thing. But in mm-hmm. hindsight, I think we would have um, uh, perhaps confined that to a more 
certain period of time and being more strategic about who we spoke to when. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, over the years I've, I've had, had clients that say, oh, no, I, I tried to get investors on board. I went to a meeting and I got knocked back. <laughs> and I know I've done a bit of work with Jack Delosa from MBA. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of MBA. No, and, um, yeah. and I know that normally most people, you know, see investor after investor after investor. So it's just quite interesting, you know, where some people have the mentality they think they get knocked back once that yeah. that's pretty much it but you know I don't know how many knockbacks you guys had but and and having emails when you said when you started up from um shoe designers and that saying that you're gonna go broke within three months like <laughs> who's, well, who's yeah. showing up now hey who's saying it now <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's look it's it's a it's a long path and I guess the thing the thing is I mean we actually turn people away as investors away too because ultimately I mean it is it's a it's a marriage-like relationship. This is something that you've developed and that you love and you're inviting someone in to come and be a part of that with you through investment. So I think that um, going through pitching and knocking each other back and things like that and being quite cautious with that is a really good process um, yeah. because it's important to get the right partner. Mm. So you, you said at the start um, that you guys pretty much bootstrapped it for the, for the start. How did you get your market? Like, how did you get your market out there? Was there no cost marketing? Was there low cost marketing? Like, how did you actually get it going so you had customers coming through your the door, so to speak, mm-hmm. online? Yeah, great question. So we started out with our personal networks. In between the three of us, we actually have quite a large personal network. So, mm-hmm. you know, we told everyone what we were doing um, and invited them to share that message and to uh, come online with us and Mm -hmm. join our newsletter lists and all that sort of thing. So that was the first step. And then I was madly pitching the story out to press and we got some coverage. I think Marie Claire was the first fashion uh, magazine to cover us. And um, we would do markets and all this kind of thing. But the really kind of big thing that happened was, um, so we started in October 2009. And between October October 2009 and March 10, we'd had about 200,000 people visit the site, which isn't too bad. Um, for a new company and then in March 2010 we worked with a YouTube blogger in the States and um, we noticed that she had over half a million subscribers and she would put videos up three times a week and all of her videos would always get more than half a million views so it's a very engaged audience uh, and it was a woman as well and she was starting to cover fashion so we got in touch with her this teenage girl and said hi would you like to you know, do a story about us. It's kind of cool, this idea that we have, and we'd love to share it with you. And um, her agent wrote back and said, sure, why don't you send her a pair of shoes? And if she likes them, then she'll think about doing it. So yeah. she the shoes, she liked them. Um, and then it went from there, and we ended up doing a 10-minute video with her where she explained the concept um, all in her own words. We didn't give her any directives or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of showed how she designed her shoes uh, because she, after receiving the shoes and liking them, she created her own pair. And then the idea was at the end that we gave her some gift certificates to give away to her readers and they would, um, or her watches, and they would uh, design a pair of shoes and then post a link in the comments under the video. So um, huge audience, really exciting. But I mean, with any competition, you always know that, especially with a one that has a high demand, like going to another website and coming back, you know, a lot of people would drop off in that process. So you know, I sort of thought maybe 5,000 people would enter. 
So the day the video went live, and bearing in mind at this point we'd had 200,000 people visit the site over a four-month mm-hmm. period, five-month yeah. period, um, on that day we had 200,000 people visit. Wow. <laughs> um, and we became the most commented video on worldwide that day on YouTube. Uh, and it's still the top, I think the third most commented video worldwide in the how to style <laughs> category. Uh, we had 90,000 people enter the competition. That was 90,000 people who came, interacted with our software, created a pair of shoes and then went back, you know, and, um, and the virality was just enormous. So we um, went from there, but, but one of the learnings that we had was that the girls that are watching these videos are between 13 and 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're and they, kidding. And they don't have money to spend on shoes. So as we were watching our traffic, absolutely get out of sight. And the word of mouth looked extra- extraordinary. We weren't seeing matching shoe sales. So we had to do something. So the first thing that we did was we changed it so that we could capture all the traffic coming to our site and we improved our sharing so that we could get them to push the message further and further. Um, and then we wrote up the business case study for this and published it on our business blog, which is 22michaels.com. It's just 22michaels.com. Mm. And we had massive debates about that because it was giving away this amazing kind of secret weapon that we discovered um, that we did it. And when we woke up in the morning, we had a note from the Wall Street Journal. Um, wow. We wanted to write the story up, so we did that. And then we won, I think, three of the first, so the online retail industry awards launched that year and we won we won three of the awards that year as this total newbie. Goodness <laughs> um, me, you guys would have been campaign. doing fist pumps. <laughs> we were we beside ourselves. But the great thing is that um with all of this coverage that went through in business, we hit the market of women who were our audience and all of these thirteen to fifteen year old girls told their mums and sisters and the ultimate effect was that it permanently tripled our business. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um uh, let me just um, ask you a question because we're going to have some listeners that are probably interested in going into business with, um, you know, others, with friends, with partners, with girlfriends. Um, some of them have, I know, have some people have had some some bad experiences going into partnership. How did the partnership? How did you get it to work? And what's your advice for the ones that are thinking about going into partnership with other people? Sure, that's a really good question and I often count myself as lucky because Mike Michael and I actually met back in university at law school and um, we got on extremely well and it just so happens that our three areas of expertise um, kind of dovetail quite neatly and even the the way that the three of us approach things is so different but Mm -hmm. um, it's not, it's a really powerful thing Uh, so I think that we're very lucky. Look, I would say first and foremost, it's got to be someone that you absolutely trust. Um, and right. it's got to be someone yeah. not only that you trust, but someone who is reasonable and rational in and you connect with um, in your way, of, like your way of thinking is very uh, connects very well. Um, I would also say as well that if it's if you're thinking of pairing up with someone that you don't have a good history with, then you know do make proper agreements together and do talk through every situation and write stuff down because Mm. um, I think that when things get messy and it hasn't been sort of forethought of or things like that and look I guess often problems are ones that do blindside us a little bit but if you can get as much of the spirit of that kind of agreement and thinking and partnership down um, I think that's a really good thing. Uh, And that's really good advice so girls if you're listening trust uh, 
someone that's reasonable and someone that's rational and always have a clause. Like I do know so many people that have gone into business with, you know, just either a best friend or a partner and they, because they do actually even have the trust there, they set up the business, but there's nothing in the actual clause that if everything yeah. does go doom and gloom and yeah. there's been some horrible things that have happened um, with people's businesses. So um, it was just really great to know how you guys actually make it work. So what are your strengths? I, I know um, I've read that you actually are the spokesperson. Um, you mm -hmm. do a lot of the designs as well or the, mm -hmm. the, the binds for the material. So can you tell me sort of what you actually do? What's sort of like your main yeah, yeah. day and your schedule what it looks like? And then how the other boys <laughs> contribute as well? I won't take you in the pain of my day and schedule. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the broad brush, which is so I do, I look after all of our communications. So whether that's our marketing, our PR, celebrity outreach, um, you know, what everything looks and feels and sounds like, um, every touch point, um, that's, that's me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, all the way from social media posts all the way through to, you know, store design and things like that. Um, right. And then I'm also responsible for our product development. So that's not just um, – so I look at um, things that are coming through in terms of – I look at colour palette, textures – um, I also do all of the shapes of the shoes, the patterns, the heel shapes and all that kind of thing. And, and can I just collaborate? say oh, yeah? one thing, girls, um, can you just um, just say what your um, URL is for the address? Because oh, of course. the shoes are hot. They are <laughs> so damn sexy. <laughs> Gorgeous. Yeah, so just mention your URL as well while we're here. Oh, of course. It's shoes of prey. So shoes of com. Um, yeah, so, and also too, I work with, we do design collaborations. We showed um, at two shows, no, three shows in New York Fashion Week in September last year. We were only one of two Australians that showed at New York Fashion Week. Um, so that was great. We're showing again in February and we have a really exciting show coming up for Australian Fashion Week. So I collaborate with those designers to get the right. Oh, how awesome. Mm. Great. Now, um, any celebrities? Have you got any celebrities that have actually, you know, purchased the shoes, designed their own? Have you have you managed to get that market at all? Yeah. Look, I mean, we've had a we've had a lot of celebrities design with us. So um, we've done uh, where to start. So we did uh, two pairs for Rihanna um, that she's got, um, and I just can't wait to see her get paparazzi them in them because she's such a beautiful woman. <laughs> Who is that? Um, sorry, Rihanna. Oh, um, Rihanna. Oh, yeah, okay. Rihanna, um, oh. goodness me, Tyra Banks. Uh, we did, we shoot Carly Rae Jepsen, the singer that sings Call Me Maybe, uh, for her tour with Justin Bieber that she did recently. Yeah. Uh, we did shoot for Oprah, Ellen DeGeneres. Um, Holy crap, that's fantastic. Nicki okay. Minaj. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And you know what? You, you've got the Queen Bee there. You've got Oprah. Damn, girl. I know. <laughs> that it's, is brilliant. It, it was a pretty, a pretty exciting day for us. So how would you um, recommend, let's just say we've got some girls, and I know there's a lot of fashion designers out there, we've got other people with awesome, cool gadgets. If they've mm -hmm. got something, they go, you know what, I want to get a celebrity to actually wear my brand, to actually wear my label, to actually do this. What are some of the advice that you can give them to actually help them sort of get that market? Yeah, look, it's, it, um, I will flat out, it's tough. Like it is, it is a really tough game, and even even talking to the really really high end brands for you know dressing for red carpet events and things like that, you can they 
as well will just send in a bunch of dresses or shoes or whatever it is and just cross their fingers, hope to die, that mm-hmm. <laughs> the celebrity chooses to wear their dress on the day. Um, so, look, it's, it's not it's not easy. Um, I think that you can get, it, get their product into their hands and you should just be observing their style and trying to get them something that you know that they'll really enjoy wearing. Um, so really mm-hmm. important to know and understand their style. Um, mm-hmm. And then beyond that, it's, you know, just being sweet and authentic with them um, and, you know, sort of pressing at the right moments to ask if they would wear them. Um, but bearing in mind as well that a lot of the really big ones do have committed contracts uh, that are worth a lot of money around right. the products that they will endorse and wear. So mm-hmm. um, it really is about uh, helping that celebrity to enjoy your product so much that they do become a consumer and want to wear it all the time. Great. Now, um, what do you do for PR these days? Do you actually do that because you're involved in all the communication? Do you have a PR company? Yeah, I have a PR agency in the US and I think that that was important because I'm not there physically on the ground. Um, I do mm-hmm. go and do um, press events over there though, um, which is good. Um, I have someone in-house in London, so she's actually part of my team and she's fantastic. I went over earlier this year and um, filmed an episode uh, on Britain Island's Sex Top Model, which was good fun. Uh, oh, wow, it was last great. year now, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, and then I do, I handle all of our PR in Australia. Wow. Now, um, oh, and, and the rest I've, of the world too, I should say. Now, speaking <laughs> of the rest of the world, yeah, how, yeah. Do you, how do you guys juggle the offices? What made you actually open up all the other offices and how do you actually juggle it? Like, what do you, how does it actually work? You got one person yeah. in there, do you travel overseas a lot? No, it's, look, it's a really good question. And I mean, I think that we probably should be a bit more strategic about it. But previously, what we've done is we would had good people from those markets approach us for a partnership. And um, yeah, so we, we went ahead with those. Um, in Japan, it's been an enormous success, um, which has been wonderful. And actually, we've actually closed our Netherlands and Russian offices because they're ones that we're able to manage out of here. It, it sort of turned out that the yes. um, benefit wasn't... Um, weighing up with the effort for uh, those markets. Mm-hmm. So we're still mm-hmm. excited to be servicing those markets and being a part of them. Uh, we just realised that uh, we didn't actually need a physical presence there to motor those along. Yeah, isn't that great, guys? Um, you know, it, she's able to recognise straight away that if something's not working, they just pull the pin. <laughs> They're not going to let it yeah. kill, kill the and business and drain the business. And Yeah, I think that's important too. Like, it's so, it's so important to always be reasonable and personable and all those sorts of things. But, you know, you, it's a business, not a charity. Like, you've got you've to be doing the right thing by the business as well. So um, it doesn't mean you should be a cold person or not nice or anything like that that ultimately you've got to make the right decision for everybody. So, you know, I mean, I have a lot of respect and care for the people who were in our Russia and Netherlands offices, but together we knew um, that it, it wasn't working properly and it wasn't the right decision overall and they cared about the business yeah. as well. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, you shouldn't hesitate away from those decisions. So what are your goals now? What are you sort of aiming for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I can share with you something really exciting. Um, and I'm, I, I'm not sure uh, what date uh, your listeners will be hearing this interview, but um, I'm opening up a store tomorrow morning. So I'm... <laughs> oh, fabulous. Really okay. Exciting. Oh, so, brilliant. And yeah. what about the store opening up? Um, so it's opening in uh, David Jones in Sydney on Elizabeth Street on the fourth right. floor in the women's shoe section. And I'm just 
I'm beside myself. I mean, we're working with an iconic Australian retail celebrating 175 years in business. Gosh, I hope my mm-hmm. business lasts that long. Um, and, you know, o- online is so new for them and offline is so new for us. So we're really the perfect partners for each other. And I just can't wait to create this offering that's not just about an integration of online and offline, but, the, but is a truly seamless experience for mm. women who want to design their own shoes. Brilliant. So how, how will it actually function in David Jones? Like, because obviously they're going to design it. So how does mm-hmm. it actually function with a physical store? Sure. So they'll have iPads that they can design the shoes on. And mm-hmm. there will also be our entire leather range in enormous swatches. There'll be a large number of shoes. There'll be fitting shoes. And, of course, we'll have the store staffed with our shoe experts and customer happiness team who will be able to help you with any tricky design questions that you've got along the way. Beautiful. Did I hear customer happiness team? Yeah, we don't have a customer service team. We have a customer Beautiful. happiness team. <laughs> and girls, what do I always teach you all about using sexy, funky names, names that stand out. You're not a salesperson. You're not a business no. owner. You know, put something funky in there. So I absolutely love that you've actually put that spin on that. Well done. Hands up to, hands up to you. Now, you. Um, let me ask you. I did have a question before I was going to ask you. Um, oh, the David Jones, just kind mm-hmm. of got you on there because I do have a client that um, has uh, baby products and mm-hmm. what she does is it's a natural baby product and she managed to get it into David Jones. Oh, she mm-hmm. had to then get a, a factory to be able to, you know, an actual warehouse to be able to have all this stuff specifically for them. Mm-hmm. How did you actually get into David Jones? What are the steps and what were the regulations that you still had to work around to actually be able to get your business in there? Yeah, so we, I mean, we, again, again, it's all networking. It's about getting yourself out there and meeting the right people and getting warm introductions and all that sort of thing. So um, for us, it was, um, I mean, of course, we put in a, a very strong pitch and spent a lot of time on it, but we were lucky that we didn't have to spend a lot of time searching to ask for the right person to speak to us. So um, networking was the secret there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of the store itself and the way it looks, um, I really encourage you to come and have a look because you will never see, you will have never seen a store like this before. There are sculptures that are over two meters high that are created from our shoes um, and things like that. So I'm not, we, David Jones have worked with us above and beyond uh, all of their kind of previous retailing to create this experience that we are putting in and opening the doors on tomorrow. So um, I'm not sure uh, what another experience would be like but for us everything had to be so bespoke um, Mm -hmm. and we just had such a wonderful time working with their team to make this come true so I'm excited to open the doors on it tomorrow. Oh I bet you are. So um, (laughs) just to finish off what's um if you could give say an advice and let's really hit it on two levels. You have to give a piece of advice for a startup and if Mm -hmm. you had to give a piece of advice from a person that have been in business maybe for let's say three years and they're ready to take it to the next level. So if you give a piece of advice to each of those women, what would you actually mm. say to both of them? Okay, so um, with and the, take with your time because I know I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you have to clang her for the end. Um, so I would say to the startup woman, I would say to her um, just to be a bit fearless about things. Remember that you don't have to tick every box. Do everything before you're ready. 
Um, and just know as well that the way that you'll get there is by taking one bite at a time. Just like make one decision, do that, then make the next decision, do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this is in a startup, it's very much about being in the thick of it. Um, and you know, give yourself scheduled time so that you can think about bigger strategic things every single week. But um, mm -hmm. it is like very much that first hierarchy of survival. Um, so be fearless, be gutsy everything before yeah. you're ready, just make a decision and see what happens yeah, next. Right. Awesome. Um, for the woman who is thinking about taking her business to the next level, I would say this, you are only one person and you are amazing, <laughs> but you can't know everything. So identify what those things are that you need to take it to the next level and find those people to come on board and to do that with you and Make sure they're the right partners for you. If you haven't, if you've got a funny gut feel about it, pay attention to it. Figure out what that is, and you know if that's possible or not. Um, but it's okay that it's just you, and it's okay that you don't know everything. And as much as we all think we're Wonder Women, we're not, and that's okay. Yeah, and that's brilliant advice. You know, for me to miss my game, um, it was about 18 months ago when I really went right. We all lifted up another level for going international. It was. Mm -hmm. I, my, all my team are virtual. I've got all virtual teams, um, except for my husband. He's actually one of my best team players. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> but, um, like my team's all virtual, but for me, to be able to leverage my time, um, you know, I look at everything dollar per, per activity, per task. If there's some basic content I need tweaked or if I need stuff proofread, outsource it because that's a lower income task that I can actually get one of my girls that are highly um, able to do that and I'm able to go out there and still be able to do the training and be able to meet the clients. So um, mm -hmm. I, leveraging yourself in your business um, is extremely important. I'm so glad you actually brought that up. Thank you so much. A big congratulations to your store opening tomorrow and um, I can't wait to run into you one day and meet you face to face. So it's been an absolute Sounds pleasure. Wonderful. And uh, thank you for your great advice today. And thanks so much for having me. You're listening to Cashflow Candy. This is Annette Lackovich. And if you want to join me for more interviews and great sales and business advice, make sure you subscribe to my Cashflow Candy show. That way you get regular updates. Let's keep boosting your sales and building the business of your dreams.